The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I have with me Edie Hartshorn. Edie is an MSW and certified Feldenkrais practitioner, combining spiritual inquiry with music, poetry, and somatic practice. With over 35 years of counseling experience using meditation, somatic practices, and music, Edie's guidance promotes new insights and a sense of well-being. For the last two decades, Edie has developed dedicated her work as a musician to creating peace. Specializing in meditative music, she composes and records on Japanese koto, Native American, bamboo, and clay flutes. She's performed with Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama and was elected a fellow of the World Academy of Art and Science. Her audio recordings are available for performances, retreats, or conferences. And Edie's prize-winning memoir, Light in Blue Shadows, has offered solace and hope to hundreds of bereaved families and individuals. In a series of finely rendered vignettes, Hartshorn unfolds the emotional and spiritual odyssey following the unexpected death of her 20-year-old son. And you can find her at www.ed.hartshorn.net. Welcome, Edie. Cheryl, thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and all true, as I well know, I wanted to disclose to the listeners, listeners that we actually got to meet in person, which is a rare and unexpected pleasure for me with my guests because they're often quite far away, and that we actually met at a death tea. I think that's significant. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. then I, and then I loved coming to your home to see all your beautiful spaces and instruments. So thank you for all of that just this past week. Yes, Cheryl, it was just great to meet you and, and to be together with art and poetry, thinking about loss and grief. I I find that those spaces are just my favorite in a way, you know, when people have come together to talk about those subjects, there's an immediate closeness, an immediate connection that um, is sometimes hard to experience with strangers. Yes, and I think it reminds me of just how important it is that we create and find communities, community when we're suffering, when we're in grief. So often, it's hard to reach out or it's very easy to feel um, this, is, this is shameful or I can't talk about this or 
no one else knows what it's like. And it, we were just together at this, um, yes, a couple of days ago at, with music and poetry and Betsy Rose and community, hearing each other's stories. And I think this, um, this experience of being witnessed, of being seen and heard, is so essential. And I found that we all long for this not only when we've had an acute loss, but it is nature being human. Part of what I've been discovering, Cheryl. Absolutely, and of course, I completely resonate with that. That's the whole uh, heart of this show, that, that really hearing each other's stories of grief helps us. And, and I'm personally helped each week by my guests, so I'm really happy to have you here. I, I want to talk in the next segment more about the loss of your son and how that resulted in the book and and that part. But I'd love to start just hearing about you how you weave all these different types of work you do together. Because uh, what I noticed just getting to know you both online and in person is how many different things you do, but that they all seem to be part of one bigger thing. Uh Gosh, what a great question, Cheryl, and and this is something that I'm always grappling with as a as an extrovert and a person who loves doing many things, an expert in Gemini. And so I do I love playing music, I love writing, I adore poetry. And recently I've just really started painting, but always I'm, what I'm curious about is how how do the arts help us in our journey of transformation in this extraordinary human uh, possibility we've been given of becoming conscious? So the way I try to bring these things together really has to do with that question, how music can help us open our hearts, bring us to a place where maybe we don't have words, where our emotions can be held by sound, by resonance. And the same with poetry. Often, we can't say with words what is our deepest sorrow or even our deepest joy. Mm. I love what Thich Nhat Hanh says, please call me by my true names in that wonderful poem. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll just play the bell, a bell because... Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us with this sound, the sound of the bell, the Tibetan bell. And tied, which means teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh says, listen, listen, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true self. So, for me, to come back to my true self, to try to discover what is the essence of what I care most about? What is my soul light trying to say? And what keeps me from that? Mm-hmm. And how can I explore ways of coming closer and closer to this extraordinary possibility we have with Transformation, integrating our lot as we go to 
so um, this connects me with my current work, um, which is I continue working with sound healing with the Tibet bowl. And just last week, I was in a wonderful retreat at Spirit Rock called Welcoming the Heavenly Messengers, which are old age, sickness, and death. And sometimes people say when I say this is what I'm doing, I've made a two-year commitment with with 90 other people from around the country, really all experienced, older practitioners. And the belief and the understanding Buddhist practice is if we are really able to be present to the truth, the reality, the three noble truths that the Buddha speaks of, old age, sickness, and death, if we can be present to these messengers, even, as Rumi says, if there are a crowd of sorrows who come to sweep our house clean of all its signature, still welcome each guest because they may have come as a messenger. So in this program, we're practicing ourselves being present to this truth. And we're also interested and curious in how we can be vehicles to make it possible that in our culture it's more acceptable, it's true, to grow old, to get sick, and to die. So that's one of the pieces that I'm working with right now. And since you know, I'm 77, it... I'm very interested and I'm in the midst of aging. Of course, we all are. Oh, every minute. Every minute. Um, yeah, I... Um... I remember hearing, I think it was actually Stephen Levine, who's done a lot of death and uh, dying and death work. I, I've switched those two around. It makes more sense to me. Uh, but yeah. he, he um, you know, he was talking about some Tibetan, uh, one, one Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition in which uh, when children were named as, um, as, Lamas, they, their first work in this tradition was always with dying people, mm-hmm. uh, in, because if they faced that, if they could be with that, everything else would would be possible. And that's always stuck with me. It, it connects yeah. with what you're saying about the Heavenly Messengers program, which, of course, to me sounds so fantastic. <laughs> just yes. just sitting with other people and and uh, you know. Uh, inviting our relationship to those three subjects mm-hmm. into our consciousness seems so wonderful. I know not everyone would have that response, but I'm... I'm uh... Well, I, I think the, the most stunning awareness of um, deeply immersing oneself in this truth that certainly came through for me, and I think everyone on this, in this program, is that as we really come closer to these truths, we have the possibility of becoming more intimate with ourselves, with our true nature, and therefore more present with other people, which is what we're all yearning for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and isn't it interesting how, because uh, I'm, I'm sure given, I know Spirit Rock, I know that place, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of quiet uh, 
you know, sitting, practice, meditation. Isn't it interesting, though, that you can still feel quite connected to other people, even in those quiet spaces when you're all yeah. together? Yeah. Did you experience that in your oh, week? In really your week the, there, and the power of being in silence with others who, who are committed to the same searching is so. Um, it's enlightening, and I think because we live in a culture that is so used to talking, is so full of noise and ambient sound and iPhones and iPods and and. Um, loud sounds all over, we lose the capacity to experience silence as a generative, um, nourishing part of our being human. So it's, it's ironic to be in a group of people in silence. In this particular retreat, it's different than, than other um, Spirit Rock retreats in that we do a lot of inquiry in dyads and small groups, mm-hmm. um, investigating our own personal experience with these three messages, and then coming closer to uh, searching for means that we can serve and perhaps transform the way we as a society uh, take care of people who are aging, ill, and dying. And that's, that's really a very large and inspiring undertaking. And part of what I have wanted and, and intended to bring to the Heavenly Messengers has been um, thinking about how creativity can open us these heavenly messengers. And we ended the retreat with an evening of transformation and creativity from the heart. Ah, and, beautiful. And we, we all offered um, poems and poems we loved, pieces people had read, experiences. And, and it was just so moving the way we created a resonant collective of loving kindness and well-being. And I thought maybe I'd just play a little of the instrument I played at the retreat. Oh, that I'd love that. Thank you. We, we started talking about how, right now in my personal life, do I weave in the art? So I'll play just a moment with, with the bowl and then the Japanese koto. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
this, so this, that's the Japanese koto that I learned while living in Japan and studying classical music. It's very beautiful, and I'm and I'm also aware that you know uh, playing instruments in this kind of connection, it's not the same sound as in person or by recording. So I hope people will go listen because it's such an incredibly beautiful, beautiful instrument. And so, um, you know, I've had a lot of different types of music take me to my soul. I would say that sort of music takes me to my quiet soul. <laughs> you know, that's very the intention. Yeah, that's the intention. Cheryl, I don't know if you could hear it. I could hear it, and I and I also know, you know, uh, there's differences in tone, uh, you know, between if we were in the room together and yeah. now. So I just wanted to make sure listeners are aware of that because you do have quite a bit of of recording of very beautiful music on your website that I've listened to. So I hope people will go there because, um, especially the section, the part of your website where you have your book. Uh, with music behind it, quite beautiful and and um, a great resource for people. Thanks, Cheryl. And I really, my intention is um, all of this material is free. People can listen. Anyone can listen, and you can also download it from CD Baby. And this is really part of my service at this time in my life is mm-hmm. as much as possible to give my work away. So after the break, I want to talk about your wonderful book, Light and Blue Shadows and the Loss of Your Son, um, as soon as we come back. And listeners, be sure to go to the host page of the show to be in touch with me or my guest, or to listen to any of the, the interviews I've done in the past. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state of the art viewing experience, live and on demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. 
Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. Edie Hartzorn is my guest today, and we're talking about her work as a sound therapist, Feldenkrais worker, peace activist, many other things, and also about her book, Light in Blue Shadows, chronicling the death of her son at age 20. And I wonder, Edie, if you could share the story of losing your son with the listeners. Gosh, Cheryl, um, let me say that, of course, losing a child is is what we as mothers dread more than anything. Mm -hmm. And luckily, we just can't imagine what it's like, because if we could, we might not have kids. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I often have experienced, when I mention this, that there's kind of a gasp of horror. And what I want to say at the beginning is um, that, of course, it is a profoundly... Um, tearing apart experience and there's great learnings and wisdom and even moments of grace that can happen and I think this this, this kind of learning from the heart that is cracked open as, as we know that welcome song the crack in the vessel is what lets the light in mm-hmm this really um, is true of all loss and all grief. Um, Betsy Rose, who was on your program and who we met with on Sunday and we're thinking about doing this Peace Cafe, has a lovely song that says, All sorrows are the same sorrow. And of course, each sorrow in each of our stories has a different timbre. So maybe I'll just read. Yeah, if you could read the part about right after his death, I and mean, right, right as you found it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll read the beginning of, from the beginning of my book, which is um, just after I received the phone call that every parent dreads. At a great distance, as if burning through a thick gray fog, I hear a low growling moan. I cannot move. I am floating up on top of the room, looking down at a woman with her mouth open in her bathrobe. Suddenly, a shattering, high-pitched wail starts me shaking all over. What the hell is that ghastly noise, I wonder? And then I realize, oh my God, it's me. It must be me. I clamp my hand over my mouth. The children are still asleep and I don't want to scare them. It can't be true. It just can't be true. I wrap my arms around myself, trying to stop the shaking. He's lying. I'll call back. That's what I'll do. Robin. Robin, I hear the scream again. Help. Jonathan's dead. I gripped the wooden banister tightly, one step at a time. One more step, I tell myself. Then the hall, open the door. The stairwell is utterly silent. I hear a strange, calm voice coming from nowhere. It will be worse for Robin. You have to help him. All he gave Jonathan. 
they're so much alike. My throat closes and I can hardly breathe. An iron clamp around my chest squeezes all the blood out of me. I have become transparent and cannot feel my body at all. Only a huge hole and an outpouring from the center of myself like a silver river. I open the door to the hallway. Robin stares at me, his mouth open, his swath of graying red hair still rumpled with sleep. His long blue and white kimono bathrobe is inside out, and his knobby knees stick out. He looks pale green. I can only squeak out a whisper. Jonathan, Dad. I just felt when I read that I was in the room. Uh, obviously, mm. not even close, but. Um, it it so um, it felt so present to read, and um, thank you. I don't know if you wrote it at the time or later, but it feels to me like you really were inhabiting the experience when you wrote it. <laughs> you know that um, I I imagine that's very close to what it was like. Yes, it's exactly what it's like, and that. That brings up such an interesting reflection, Cheryl, about how do we hold our grief mm. and um, what is it that can help us? And, of course, I didn't write this down immediately. Right. I, I don't remember when I wrote it, but it certainly, in the beginning, I just um, just had all these pourings of feelings. And it was... It was really quite a while before I began to write anything or could even write in my journal. But I remembered the sensations. I remembered my body's experience. Mm -hmm. And then after a certain, after I had some distance, then I would dip back into it. And I did find a lot of solace from, from journaling. Yeah, of course, in the beginning, I had no intention of writing a book. I, 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 I've, I've heard that many times from many guests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that people just needed to write, and then it eventually evolved into a book. Yes, and and it took me quite a long time. I would, I was, I was in a wonderful women's writing circle, and certainly being in community and sharing with other people. In a space that's contained and has some quality of, of um, loving and respectful witnessing mm -hmm. rather than telling you what to do, being in this kind of a circle and community was just so helpful for me. And I did, I would be quite surprised. I'd, I'd write little bits of something, like a memory of Jonathan. Uh, I began writing letters to him. Um, and I was totally surprised by what came out on the page. I had no idea it was there. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Writing can be that way, can't it? I, and I think all of us have these experiences with writing or movement or dance or music. As we try to find our way back to some sense of who am I, for a long while, 
um, I grieved for a very long while. I also was a person who needed to have witnesses and community. And my Berkeley community was wonderful. And every Saturday night in the evening, just the time he died, people would come to my meditation, my Japanese tea house, which is where I meditate, and bring poems and we would meditate together. And this went on for actually several weeks and then several months. Mm. And people began to bring their own stories, their own beloved person. And for me, that, that was just so healing. We did a one-year memorial in, in the garden. And everyone brought, um, it was in the spring we did it, and everyone brought um, seeds to plant. And some friends and I, including Betsy Rose, uh, prepared um, like prayer flags, sheets of, of material and pens. And everyone in the community wrote down the name of someone they had lost. Mm. And then we tied these on the trees and did a, a ceremony and meditation. Actually, I'd forgotten about that. I didn't write that. <laughs> I, I had a prayer flag too after my wife died in my in, yeah. outside, and I had forgotten about it too. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful to remember as a visual image. Um, I'm aware that you didn't play music for a while, but then I got the sense in the book that uh, once you got back to music, it was a great solace. And I wonder if maybe we could play that clip, the Longing for Darkness clip. I have no idea if you recorded that before or after, but it felt so associated with grief to me when I heard it. Uh, why don't you play it? And I'll see if I can remember. I, <laughs> I did a number of, of CDs, and I've actually played a great deal of music in the first two or three years after Jonathan died. I felt I have got to do something to help other people. Otherwise, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I suffering? Mm -hmm. And and I really, um, I played music at, at um, a lot of peace actions, trying to get rid of nuclear weapons, going to Hiroshima. I went to Sarajevo and met with women and played music and heard their stories. And um, so... Playing music was a big part of these first few years of my life. Um, please play it. I'll see if yeah, I can let's, remember. Yeah, let's hear that. I recorded it.
somehow that feels like uh, some of the deeper grief moments I experienced. Yes, and I'm remembering that piece now. And the title comes from China Gallon's beautiful book, um, uh, Tara and the Black Madonna. Mm-hmm. It's lit from her book, Longing for Darkness, I think is the name of the book. Mm-hmm. And there was a period where I really, um, I felt I couldn't speak with words. I could just wail and 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 I felt as if I was hearing the cries of the world. And I think part of why I went to be with the women in Sarajevo was that I felt I'm connected with every mother in the world. And then, of course, I experienced suffering, such incredible suffering way beyond anything I could imagine, where in Hiroshima people lost everyone, everything. And somehow I needed to be in that um, truth of suffering and, and feeling that I'm connected. I am deeply connected. Because it, when you're in the midst of such grief, I know you know this, Cheryl, you can feel as if um, you're, you're simply just unraveled. Mm-hmm. There's nothing left. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that to me was just astonishing, especially in the beginning, was um, that I also had moments when I felt just this incredible um, sense of, of transcendence, of the numinous, of soul. And especially right in the very beginning, um, when I experienced Jonathan's, Jonathan came to me and filled the midnight sky. I, I bowled upright, burning with, with heat and fire. And I looked and there he was and said, I love you. And there was a period, I don't know if this happened to you after your, right after your wife died, but I know in, in the literature on grief, it, especially Cooper Ross spells out the, the phases of shock and then outlines them. I experienced, it didn't feel like shock that first moment, those first days, moments. I felt as if I was experiencing grace mm-hmm. and that was so right next to feeling totally unraveled. Yeah. Yeah, I sometimes say that the biggest uh, requirement of of learning to grieve is to be in two opposing uh, states at once. Yes, yeah. Uh, You know, because uh, it's not like depression where everything is sort of dull and down. It's, It's... more active than that, you know, and there's joy yeah. and there's devastation and there's transcendence and there's earthliness and, you know, it's kind of all happening at once. Did you experience it that way? Absolutely. I remember, um, I think it was the first year I, I went to um, be with my teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, in France. 
and take refuge in Plum Village, the community there. And um, they invited me to play music in the, in the meditation hall. And I was rooming with a wonderful Japanese young woman. And there were times when we rolled on the floor laughing. I mean, it's a little embarrassing street center. <laughs> I don't even, I have no memory of what we were laughing about or why. The only memory I have of is of being held in this incredible, loving presence. Not only the nuns and the witnessing. Could I just read a just a, a paragraph about? Yes, the we have just a, just a, just a couple of. Uh, we have about a minute and a half left before the break. So uh, as long as it's within that, absolutely. Oops, we have, we have a little less than that. Maybe we should have you read it after the break. What do you think? I don't want to cut you off. It's um, not long. No, it's okay, only, go right ahead then. Yeah. This is I'm gardening with, with the Vietnamese women in, the, in Palm Village. I have seen this wisdom in the eyes of my Vietnamese sisters. I, I ask myself, how long will it take to boil the grief off my bones? Could I be like wind blowing across the rolling vineyards? Could I become transparent as water? How long must I wait for shame and sorrow to fall away until only kindness remains? I have seen this wisdom in the eyes of my Vietnamese sisters, those who fled their war-torn country and now live permanently in Plum Village. They do not avert their eyes when we work together. My Vietnamese sisters embrace me silently. These women who have carried their dead brothers across the rice fields need not speak a word of their suffering. Their deep brown eyes and steady glances assure me, we know your grief. We embrace your suffering. We know one day your laughter will burst bright as a sun's flower. Be patient. Your sun is here in the vineyards, in the fields of flowers, in the rolling hills of summer wheat. Hear him in the trees, thundering through the sky between the storms. Be patient, saints the sparrow. Be patient, chant the chorus of staccato in the warm, fragrant evening. It's very beautiful, and we'll be back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Edie Hartzern, and we've been talking about her book, Light in Blue Shadows, about the death at 20 of her son and how that impacted her life and her work. And um, that final thing you read right before the break just leads me right into something I was extremely uh, curious, really wanted to talk with you about, mm-hmm. which is that... Um, uh, I'll start it with a story that I, I think Stephen told me this story too of mm-hmm. uh, a guru who lost his son and he was wailing and crying mm-hmm. and, and one of his students said, why are you crying? It's all illusion. And, and he said, yes, but of, uh, but of all the illusions, losing a child is, is, the, uh, is the deepest. And mm-hmm. so... And that story also has always stayed with me, you know, yes. that there's, because yes. it can seem sometimes like the idea of non-attachment uh, is a little in contradiction to the the process of grieving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't actually experience it that way, but it's sometimes I hear people talking about non-attachment as attachment is bad, um, you yeah. know, and you shouldn't have it, but clearly at least you didn't describe that kind of conflict, and I really wondered if you could tell me uh, whether that was ever a conflict for you. How did those two things mesh together? Because it was so evident in your book that it was more about allowing whatever was to be, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just staying with where you were and, and following it. Um, but I could imagine, you know, that other issue sometimes. Yes, that's a really interesting question, Cheryl, in terms of how do we navigate loss that just devastates us? And even if if we have a practice, my practice unraveled, I'll tell you, I spent just as much time in my meditation tea house screaming and pounding the floor with pillows as I did sitting. And most of my sitting in the beginning, I just cried. Mm. So, um, and writing a book, putting together our experience into form, you know, form is formlessness, formlessness is form. It's not quite so when we're trying to render a formless experience in our human, in our human selves, we have to put it into a form, Mm -hmm. which means... We can't put in everything. And 
So in, in my book, I tried to steer the line between the truth of being furious, grieving, abandoned. How could this happen? Um, I wanted back. I wanted back. Yes. And trying to practice, trying to find ways that I could go on with my life. And I think what I, I tried to do in writing, the, the first, um, first version of my book was about 360 pages. And when I looked at it, I just thought, nobody wants to be wallowing in someone else's grief forever. I don't even want to myself. So it's a very interesting question to me of how we take the experience of loss and grief and try to use it in our own, in the service of our own becoming whole and perhaps becoming a person who has more to offer. Mm. To stay with it with some, even in the darkest time, it's, it's very easy to lose hope and feel this will never end. I mean, it's never going to end. And then to try to take a deep breath and start again and practice forgiveness for ourselves. It's, it's, it's certainly not a straight trajectory. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that I, answers your question. I, I, well, it... There's there's not one answer or one way, mm-hmm. but yes, it does. <laughs> um, you know, what I felt uh, very much when my wife died was that uh, I was still very much connected with her. That, uh, that yeah. didn't die. What mm-hmm. died was her body, and that was a big loss because that's how I touched her. That was our mm-hmm. medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean that literally and figuratively. Uh, you know, the, the idea of physical relationship being on this planet together is not nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, I, I appreciated that you, obviously you couldn't have gotten around that, but you also seem to accept it uh, on some level. Of course you would grieve. Yeah. And, 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 it, and, I, and I have to say, it took a long time, and it changed over time. And I still, uh, I, can't, I, I used to be I couldn't speak without crying for several years. Um, and now, that isn't so. Mm. And there are still moments, especially when I think about, oh, he'd be 42 now, or oh, he'd have children, it's very easy to be pulled back into um, the past or the future, what might have happened. Well, and in a way, that's that's present in the sense that he's present. Yeah, yeah, I do know that. Yeah, I think that would be a good moment for you to read... um, I guess I'll call it, what's more enduring than death? Is, are you thinking about the last? The, the, yes. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, it's, it's making me think about that. <laughs> let me what we're um, talking set about. the context for this piece. Mm-hmm. This is um, several years later. 
forgotten, five, four, five, six. And um, we're having Christmas, Christmas supper at our house. And um, both of our kids have grown up playing music as, as both my husband and I did. And they know that for me, the greatest Christmas gift is to hear them all play music. Mm. So they secretly practice together. And then after supper, um, Robert and the kids sat down and played a Mendelssohn trio, one of my most absolutely favorite. And I lay down in front of the fireplace and just listened. And whenever I hear the, the kids play, of course, I just cry with happiness. Uh-huh. And so there I am lying on the rug and seeing the kids and hearing and this rain pouring down the window and I close my eyes, allow the music to wash over me, put a pillow under my head and curl up on the oriental rug close to heaven. Dare I write of such happiness? Am I tempting the great reader to snip another thread of my life? If I cherish these tender moments again, if I acknowledge that I am woven into wholeness, I love golden threads. Would I trade this joy and freedom for Jonathan's life? If magically I could bring, if magically I could bargain with death? The question now seems irrelevant. Redoing the past or longing for the future only pierces my heart with pain. Instead, I celebrate my blessings and am filled with gratitude. My life is an abundance of joy and sorrow, a blessing from every drop of rain and every ray of sunlight, from every kindness, each family member and each friend. The fire crackle calls me back to Mendelssohn's luscious phrases and the pleasure of my family playing music together. Remembering a fragment from a psalm, I speak silently to an abiding presence of divinity in my life and to Jonathan. You have changed my grieving into dancing, thrown off my morning clothes and dressed me in joy so that my whole being might sing to you without ceasing, pouring out my gratitude without end. I know now that suffering can transform into light, shining through blue shadows at dawn, that love is more enduring than death. Love is more enduring than death. Mm-hmm. So, so it feels so bedrock true to me. <laughs> yeah. So bedrock true. You know, and uh, I also, in, uh, just a small comment in reading this, reading this piece because um, this was several years ago that this happened, and that I wrote this also a few years ago. And one of the mysteries of our human life is that we come to a place of deepest understanding and integration and knowing this truth of loving presence, truth of our own being, and of the experience of being held in love. 
And then our human lives continue and we spiral and we can, this can happen again, maybe certainly not in the same way. And I just, I don't want to give the impression that, that, uh, that I, this insight and realization in this moment lasts. It, but it is a kind of bedrock that I can return to when tough things happen. Well, of course, that resonates with my experience right now, having just lost my mother. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing what I know maybe inclines me a little more towards uh, embracing grief, yes. but, but it doesn't evade grief. No, it doesn't. Uh, I miss my yeah. mother. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's a totally different loss. Every loss is its own particular thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I'm. Um, if we had two or three hours, where I would, where I would go next would be to talk about how your relationship with music changed. But since we don't have, since we only have a few minutes, I wonder if you would just play a little bit to help us end our conversation. Sure. I, I'm going to play, this is a, a triple-chambered ocarina, and for me, this instrument really speaks the voice of the soul, and it is actually, um, it was made by a friend, a Berkeley friend who was a musician, and Potter, and was very interested in ocarinas, which are basically whistles. They're single chamber with a whistle. And in the Andes, these are made in the form of sacred totem animals, like a jaguar. Mm. And they have a single sound, and when you blow the sound, it is helping the spirit to leave the body. And so this, this is an instrument that was made with that thought in mind. And I'll play just a bowl and then play the instrument. Yes, just give us a taste. <laughs> I know that when I was at your home and you played that instrument for me, I felt it down to my toes. 
I'm not sure that that can even get across to the listeners, but I wanted to share it because it was just so, went through my whole body. Edie, I've really enjoyed talking today. I'm, we could talk three times as long for sure, but thank you for being with me. And listeners, please find Edie at edieheartshorn.com. Next week, join me when I'm talking with Mary Potter Kenyon, whose two books, Chemotherapist, How Cancer Cured a Marriage, and Refined by Fire, A Journey of Grief and Grace, eloquently share the story of her family's experience with cancer and her husband's eventual death. And I wanted to mention that uh, Betsy Rose's interview with me actually is coming in December, so keep your eyes out for that. We mentioned her a few times today. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.